Second Kings chapter six. Let's go ahead and read, we'll stand and read the entire passage down to seven verse twenty. That way it's interesting and uh it's just good. We got the time I think to do it today, so why not? Second <clears throat> Kings beginning in chapter six verse twenty four. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver in a fourth part of Cahab, which I'm going to assume is some sort of dung, was, uh, up dove, well, it says up dove's dung, should have read for four or five shekels of silver. Then they would use that for fuel, of course. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, In other words, I don't have any resources to start with. Uh, what is your trouble? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So he boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shephat, remains on his shoulders today. In other words, he was so upset by what everybody had been reduced to uh, with the siege that he uh, was blaming it all on Elisha. Verse 32, Elisha was sitting on, in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look when the messenger comes, shut the door, and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. In other words, the king was coming anyway, it would appear. And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And there's debate about whether that messenger, which in the Hebrew looks a lot like king, was actually, that last verse is really the king saying that, because it sounds more like what the king would say that the Lord's not helping us, and why should I expect him to? <clears throat> Chapter 7. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a shea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two sheas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on the, whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make the windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you should not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. Now, so now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spared our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. 
For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents and their horses and the donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. But when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went in to a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off the things from it and went and hid them. Then they said one to another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeeper of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there is no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out and was told within the king's household, and the king arose in the night and said to the servants, I will come to you, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. But one of the servants said, Let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that the, those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. In other words, we're going to die anyway. Why not? So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians and said, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste, and the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a she of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he had leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him at the gate, so that he died, as the man of God had said, when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two sheas of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a shea of fine flour for a shekel, and about this time tomorrow at the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. They stopped there, they receded. So a quite interesting account. Um, was, it, when you see, I think scripture repeated, like that last little bit was repeated almost word for word for what happened earlier, then I think we should take that seriously. In other words, it's being emphasized to us that this man doubted the Lord and paid dearly for it. Certainly, that's a lesson to be learned, right? All right. So last week, we looked at uh, the accent that floated and the uh, chariots of fire that were uh, that the servant of Elisha was able to see. We learned that God not only is in control of the smallest things, but he cares for us in these things as well. Uh, it was just an accent, but it was important to this guy, and the Lord helped him in that situation. So these are things that we can take from the Lord. They're important to us. Uh, Christian love tries to make things right when you cause loss to others. Of course, he was upset because it was somebody else's act. He felt obligated, rightly so, to replace it. 
So we don't use God's sovereignty as an excuse to be careless. Um, then we, as far as the chariots of fire go, we, a very important uh, lesson, and that is that we don't need visions and revelations because we have them in the Bible, which we believe by faith. Remember John 20 where Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And so I think the, the point there is that whether you see Jesus or not in the flesh, if you have faith, saving faith, you see him in the scriptures and you understand it. You don't need to see him. Yes, that's something that we look forward to. But uh, as far as living by faith, we don't need it. We, the, the Bible reveals all that to us. So this first section, uh, you know, as the king comes and he sees, this woman calls out to him for help, and he hears what happened. Uh, it, it, it's so true. You know, he's reading about, you know, reading the, the reaction of the king here. It's so true to those who uh, do not know the Lord or those who are not spiritually minded. Sin has caused misery in the land. And everybody who knew the covenant knew why. Now, they maybe didn't believe it, they didn't care, but uh, this king uh, reacts as if uh, he doesn't already know why it's happening and what needs to be done. And what's he going to do? Well, he's going to do what all the kings before him have done, Ahab, just blame uh, the prophet, because he's kind of like saying, well, he prophesied these things, so it's his fault. Well, he couldn't do it if it was, it had to be, you know, Elijah didn't cause a famine, it had to be the Lord. So you just see this typical idea that um, you know God gets blamed or something gets blamed, and you don't take your own responsibility because the uh, all you had to do is repent as the king had he repented and um, wiped out the idolatry that started bringing back the worship, true worship of the Lord. All that would have taken would have gone away. So that's not what he does because that's not what sinners do. This is divine judgment, yet he doesn't think he deserves it. And, of course, that just shows why he does deserve it. Um, And so they uh, are eating donkeys, which were an unclean animal. Uh, Again, so it was by telling us how much it cost, the point was not so much in the cost of the donkey meat. It was that they were reduced to eating things that were even, even, Israel, in a sense, uh, northern Israel, that was most were full blown into idolatry and really weren't keeping covenant at all. Yet the traditions were still there. They understood the you know the donkey was unclean; they wouldn't ordinarily eat it. But this is what they, of course, are reduced to. There are a couple of uh, passages I, wrote, I put that one on there, but thought we'd maybe turn back there if you wanted to Deuteronomy. And again, this is why this king's reaction is so reprehensible in a sense. Deuteronomy chapter 28, let's start reading in verse 47. <clears throat> I've heard that so much this week. Um, Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 47, let's read down to verse 59. Because you do not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness that gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, because because the Lord had blessed you so much, and yet you did not acknowledge Him and, and say truth to Him, 
Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lack in everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. And again, it's not that the Lord is sending it so much as the Lord is not protecting them anymore from their enemies who would want to do it anyway. So it's just a result of your sin. When you reject the Lord, and he takes his protecting head off of you, this is what's going to happen. It's not that the Lord makes them sick. Of course, they live in a fallen world. And if the Lord doesn't keep us healthy, we're going to all fall prey to sickness. This is what happens. Verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who will shall not respect the old and show mercy to the young. And it shall set the offspring of your cattle, and it shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. And it shall also not leave you grain, wine, or oil, and increased of your herds and the young of your flocks until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified wall in which you trusted come down throughout all the land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your lands which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb and the flesh of the sons, your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you. In the siege and in the distress in which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is in the most tender and refined among you shall be, shall, will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces. In other words, the most tender hearted will be, become uh, the cruelest, or as cruel as anybody. And to the last of the children whom he has left. So he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left in the siege, in the distress in which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender refined woman against you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender, will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter. Her afterbirth, which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly. In the seas and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. Now, that's pretty graphic. I mean, you know, that's, that's the only way to put it. But, the, but the, it's not that the Lord is going to make them do that. The Lord is going to just say, okay, I'm through with you. you. You broken covenant. I'm going to leave you to your own devices. And this is all of us. This is what sin does when, when the Lord doesn't hold us back, when the Lord doesn't give us his spirit. We are reduced to the worst we can possibly be. And certainly that would be a prime example of what happens there. So it's our own fault. But this is this is what happens with and this is why we, we always are praying, Lord, you keep me faithful today. You give me the strength I need. I I need your help and, and to recognize those things. And then of course uh, Lamentations two twenty, this of course took place at when the, at the fall of Judah, so it was no different for Judah later on. Look, O Lord, and see with whom you have dealt us thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priests and prophets be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? And so you see these scenes coming to pass. So there's only one way to live and have purpose and fulfillment, and that is knowing and serving and enjoying the Lord. And if you do not do that, then that is your end. He might not be reduced to this. 
But uh, there's only one thing worse than that, and that, of course, is dying without the Lord and spending eternity suffering the wrath of God. It's coming. As the Deuteronomy gives us a graphic illustration that rejecting the Lord won't mean you'll have your best life now. It means you're going to lose everything. And, and another thing that I, I think we, we could say we see here is that it, it reminds us that human suffering is not the ultimate evil or bad thing. You say that sounds a little strange. I think a lot of people that would rub the wrong way. But, in other words, in God's mind, human suffering, human death, is not the thing to be avoided at all costs because he lets them go. Well, he, of course, he tells Israel to kill the Canaanites. He even allows the Israelites to die, not just to die, but to die in some of the worst ways possible. He said, so, so what are you saying? Well, because the worst thing, and the reason that's not the worst thing, is that the worst thing is to dishonor the Lord. The worst thing that you can, a humankind can do is idolatry. To not be faithful to the Lord, to not trust the Lord, to not be faithful to Him. That's the worst sin. And so when that leads to these other things, it's because the Lord has rejected you and has left you to your own. Because all human suffering stems from man's rejection of God. And its relief thing can only be found in the redemption of the cross. And that's the only hope that we have. And so I think this is interesting. The Lord has no problem. Nobody nobody wants to do it. He doesn't delight in it. But the Lord has no problem letting people suffer. It's a man that we just saw here. The man who didn't have even the faith to, to trust the Lord could do what he said he would do. Then, then punishment's coming. Uh, eternal punishment is coming. And so again, we see the exceeding deceitfulness of sin and that they are eating their children when relief is just around the corner they would repent. You know, you're, you're, you're doing, you're, you're, you don't like this. And I've seen people like this. I've seen marriages like this. People they come and they, they got all these problems they're going through. It's just because they, they, they don't they're not faithful to the Lord because they're not obeying Him. They're not putting Him first in their life. And you say, okay, here's what you need to start doing. And no, I, I, no, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to change anything. I want you to give me some quick fix. They come to you thinking that you're going to give them some uh, magic little. Uh, thing to do, and all of a sudden you're just going to love each other and your marriage is going to be fixed. No, marriage is hard. And marriage is fixed when you put Christ first in your life. And so, it's just we see the exceeding deceitfulness of sin. Yet we also see a merciful God who's going to show mercy. Uh, there will be no excuses on the day of judgment because God is a merciful God, but it, it takes repentance. So the point is that we do not have to sin out of desperation. These women did not have to do this. God never uh, lets things go so bad that uh, you have to sin. You have to disobey him. You got to do what's right. And rightly so, as we read, there's plenty of food just outside the gates. <laughs> the food's there, but repentance is not was not given. <clears throat> so verse 32 Elisha kind of shows us kind of a contrast between the king. Uh, the, the advantage of Christians over the lost, he calmly is sitting there with God's people, hearing from the Lord. Uh, he has answers when the lost do not. 
rumors and bad news do not shake the faith of Christians, right? Because um, we've been touched by the sovereign grace of God. We, we know God, and so we understand why there's evil. We understand why bad things happen. We understand what our end is. And so we're never rattled in that sense. And, and I say that in understanding that all of us have sometimes struggle with dealing with adversity. But, you know, even after the initial onslaught, we, we Christians, because we have the truth, we have a way to deal with it, right? And we see Elisha here. By no means is he reduced to what these women were reduced to and and others and, and the king because he knows God. Psalm 112 here, starting at verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And I think really in a sense, verse 6 is a reminder that we're, we're, we're safe on the, as we stand on Christ, we stand on the rock that shall never be moved. So, so that's the first truth. I, sh- I know that in Christ I shall never be moved. I have eternal life ahead of me, right? So I am not afraid of bad news. He goes on to say, his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. And again, I don't, I think it's not saying that a Christian is never afraid. Because if that's the case, I don't think any of us are Christians, right? Fear is there. And I'm not, I'm not talking about fear of falling off a cliff. I'm not the fear of our adversaries, right? <clears throat> but fear that paralyzes us. Remember, I, I preached a sermon, one of the sermons I preached when I was candidating was when uh, the women came and they were, uh, they saw Jesus resurrect the Lord and they said, be not afraid. And remember the, the, the soldiers were paralyzed with fear at the sight of the resurrected Lord. The, these women who love the Lord, they come and, and the Lord says, don't be afraid because Christians have no reason to have paralyzing fear. We, we, we fear, we recognize danger. But we are, we have more confidence in the Lord than that fear. And I think that's how you have to look at this. I will not be so afraid that I can't be godly. That I can't exhibit the, the love of the Lord. Verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. See, so notice the contrast here. Down in verse 10. He gnashes his teeth and melts away to die. The wicked will perish. Completely opposite. And I hope that none of us, or at least as we grow in the Lord, we, we don't see ourselves as verse 10 anymore. We, we don't get, we don't despair like, well, all's lost. I can't ever recover. This is the worst thing possible. All the silly things that lost people say that, that sometimes runs through our mind. No, because you've got all these things here the Lord is taking, is doing for you. In Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so we can see the desperate plight of the wicked here. Yes, they are under God's judgment. But at the same time, we have the message of deliverance. And and uh, so uh, these, these uh, lepers, it's, you know, it's interesting here is they get there and they, you know, they're starving. And they, they go into a tent, they see all this food, they eat it, they 
see the wealth there, they take it, hide some, you can kind of understand that, but at some point they say, wait just a minute, the Lord has saved us. We've got to tell others about this thing. So you see the, the right kind of evangelistic effort here. <clears throat> and so, uh, anyway, in, in getting to chapter 7, the, the first verse here, when uh, the king comes and he's going to, uh, he knows that the king's going to come to, to kill him. When he says to the king, um, tomorrow, and basically, in a sense, he's saying, okay, settle down. You're not killing anybody today, king. Uh, tomorrow, it's all going to be over with. So he says, uh, to this time, a she of five thousand is still for Shechem, two sheaves of brown, Shechem, and so forth. He's not saying that God is going to supply cheap food. That those, those prices are not fantastic by any stretch. But there, at least there's meat to be had, to be sold. And it will be affordable. So it will be inflated a little bit, but it's, it's not cheap. But the Lord is going to um, bring relief from the siege tomorrow. Even these prices. So perhaps the most important thing to see here in this verse is that Elisha, Elisha does not change his message or his attitude toward the king just because he's been threatened. He merely continues to proclaim the word of the Lord. Every day we have on earth, we are in amid all the calamities. At least we have another day to hear the word, to grow it in the Lord, to tell others about Christ. Father's life in us, we have a duty. And so, Elisha should be a very faithful man here at this point. And then come the verse 2, which of course is interesting, because the, when, it's, when the man said to get Elisha, Here's this. He says, even if God opened the heaven, the windows of heaven and poured the food down, I mean, can that really happen? That, that's, I think what they say here, the only way this can happen is if the Lord uh, opened the, just dumped it on our, in our laps. Well, the thing is, right outside the gate, and maybe, uh, you know, just out of sight, there's all kind of food. You know, see, so, he, he's, he's not even thinking about that. Because you can think about it, probably within a hundred miles or so, there's nothing. Except for this great army, he's got all kinds of food. And so he doesn't believe that. And so, uh, basically, Elisha says, well, you're not going to enjoy it because of your lack of faith. It sounds harsh, but, and again, but it's repeated twice. Because it's a big deal for us to publicly uh, demonstrate we don't trust the Lord. And that's why it's important in our testimony that we, the way we live, the way we react, the way we do. If you, if we are demonstrating a love for the Lord and a trust and faith in Him, then what are we here for? Why did God save us? You know, that, that's why He leaves us here. And it's not the first time the Lord has done this. Remember, with Moses, because he struck the rock the second time, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Because it's a big deal to disobey God. Then, uh, another time this happened, uh, not death, but uh, did anyone think of another time where a lack of faith brought about a, a little bit of a punishment? Uh, Zechariah, the uh, 
father of John the Baptist. Remember when the angel told him that his own wife was going to have a baby? I would say, oh, at least patch, patch childbearing. Uh, he said, uh, I would say that's going to happen. He said, okay, well, you are going to be uh, unable to speak until the child's born. Right? Because it's a big deal for us to doubt the Lord, especially to a doubt the plain, it, it, this is Elisha, it's the plain word of God, in our case, the written word of God. It's a big deal when we question that. We can expect something that the Lord's going to not let that go. He's going to chase us. <clears throat> so it's a classic example of something that never fails to amaze me. People have enough faith to believe that God dictates circumstances, but they don't seem to have enough faith to believe that he can actually take care of you and do, work all things together for their good. They're willing to accept that their situation is in God's hands, and they would never say otherwise, that God's not in control of everything, but they're not willing to admit that he's got their best interests at heart, that this, why is this happening? This is awful, you know, and, and what you do like that is you're disparaging the providence of God. So, that man should have realized that um, the, the, the food is all around us. The food is right there that army's camp. So to say, because he's by saying, you know, God would have to open the windows of heaven. Well, God could have done that. But, you know, what, what makes you think that God can't take all the food that army's got to give to you? you know? So hopefully as Christians, we, we obey differently than we lost. And we just see all these contrasts in the passage. We trust and obey even when we don't see how God can provide. Because that's really one of the lessons here, right? This man couldn't immediately figure out how Elisha's words were going to come true. But we're talking about Yahweh. And so this is the kind of faith that impresses the Lord. And Matthew 8, we'll get to that here soon. Uh, the Lord is impressed with the faith of the centurion. Because he understood, he, he believed that the God could speak the word, and speak the word and heal his daughter. And uh, he, he took that at face value. And that's what, it was a public display of faith. And so he goes on, Jesus goes on to say that that's the kind of person who will retire with him in the coming age, not the you know, disbelieving Jew, but this Roman centurion because he has faith. So, of course, the, the other obvious thing here is the parallel between Israel and our own previous condition, right? We were just like they were. They were desperate. We were desperate, starving, dying, miserable people. Unable to do anything about it until the Lord looked down and showed mercy upon us. Our enemy was about to claim us and destroy us, but the Lord very easily brings us into the kingdom by his power and so, certainly we see an example of the Lord's power there. Um, then we have these three, the four lepers. And, and you kind of see something about fatalism here, right? They're, they're sitting there dying. And, and they said, what are we doing? You know, let, let's do something. And, and I think that's a good lesson for us to learn. That Again, the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that we have to sit there and just take whatever comes. 
When it happens, yes, as Christians, we submit to the prophets of God. We do so joyfully and with the right attitude. But while there is hope, while there is something to do, it is perfectly right to do it and not to, because I think you, you run the risk of tempting the Lord. In other words, you're, you're tempting the Lord, are you not? You say, look, the Lord can supply all my needs, food, housing, car, whatever I've got, clothing. I don't have to work. The Lord can take care of me. Okay, that's true. But that's not the way the Lord, the means by which the Lord establishes. He's put us on this earth to go about the business, to not uh, use the sovereignty of God to tempt him to say, Lord, I expect you to do it, take care of me. I don't want to do anything. That's, so we see that here. Remember those in the book of Acts who were under conviction of sin, they cried out to the apostles, what must we do to be saved? Again, theologically, we understand that in a sense there's nothing you can do, but at, but at the same time, we know there is something we, we must do, that is to repent and believe. So all we can do is cast ourselves on the mercy of another. And that's what they do here. People who do nothing, that are cold towards the things of God, I don't think they see the danger they're in. They don't have any sense of the danger. They don't have any sense of the glory of God and the duty that we have before him. I mean, we wouldn't stand in front of moving tra- traffic. Forget how strong your faith is. No, no sane person is going to run out in traffic and say, well, the Lord's going to take care of me. Because we know that the Lord's not going to take care of me. As, as a rule, because that's not, that's not the world in which he's put us. He's not put us in a world in which you could jump off a cliff and not die or not be hurt. And so, Yes, he could take care of us in a situation where we tipped him, but we know it's wrong to do so. <clears throat> so certainly, we ought to see how easy the Lord can supply our most desperate needs. Um, and, and of course, you've got these lepers who are the um, desperate men, and the Lord brings them takes care of them and brings them the food that they need. Now, he doesn't give it to the, the king. He's not dead. He, he, he gives it to the lonely here, these poor lepers. Well, certainly we are also seeing how easy the Lord then can supply our most desperate needs. Uh, Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens are made, and by the breath of his mouth are all our home. So, Again, think about the way the stars. By the Lord speaking, all things have come into existence. So that's just how easily God does anything he wants. He create, makes anything he wants. He gathers the water from the sea and the heat and puts deep in the storehouses. But all the earth fears the Lord. But all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So that's the only proper reaction. For he spoke and it came to be, to man and he stood firm. The Lord brings account to the nations to nothing. So, what, what's the take from creation? Let the the Lord brings account on the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The account of the Lord stands for it, and the plans of His heart for all generations. So He's in control, and nobody else is. 
But that's a take, but that's living by faith. That's understanding the reality of how things work. These lepers could practice the golden rule, that is, you and others you have in the new deal, share what they have, because God's provisions are enough for all. There was no need for them to hang on to things that they could never eat at all anyway. And so it doesn't, because of these verses, we can be generous and give, even when we don't always know how we're going to perhaps make up for it, because the Lord can take care of all of us, and it's so easily. Then we come to the end here, verse uh, 17, where this poor man gets trampled to death. And of course, we have many years of spoon. You can imagine what starving people would be doing. It would just make a beeline. And this poor guy gets trampled to death. Those who do not believe that the Lord is sufficient have only death waiting for them. And again, it's, it's a big deal. I think it's, it's, it's not cruel. It's not over the top. It's the lesson to be learned. This is the whole chapter. Hebrews 12, 25. See that you do not refuse him who speak, or if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who rejected the words of heaven. So there's the application. This is in, in reference to the Jews uh, who perished in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief. And so, uh, the writer is telling us, like, what do you get from that? Well, the same thing we're getting from this poor guy who was trampled to death. The word came from earth, uh, and he didn't believe it. He didn't use it to his advantage. And so, what's gonna happen when, you know, if a man warns him on earth and he don't, Listen, and you might die, right? And so if you reject what comes from heaven, the word of God, then, then what's that going to mean? Well, it's, it's going to mean eternal death. So it's important. It, it, God gives us a very clear object lesson here of how we are to take the word of God. And uh, it's not ours to pick and choose. We must believe it and, and act upon it rather as right. Spirit might take hold of each life here and form us to the image of your dear son.